Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the Nittany Lions Sports Report weekly here on Bob Long Sports. Your team, Bob Long, Tyler Gelhouse. And this is a week we always look forward to, uh, or maybe dread, depending upon which direction the Nittany Lions are heading. But it always was one that, that, that draws our attention out, and that's Ohio State Buckeye Week. Tyler, <laughs> Penn State, one loss. Lots to talk about the last two weeks. Coming off the bye, Michigan. That loss was as bad and uncompetitive a loss as I can remember. Game where they only trailed by two at half, but it really was driven by only two plays in the first half. The rest was truly controlled by Michigan. The defensive line was a massive, massive struggle for Penn State. Uh, and then they had to lick their wounds. And candidly, things got uh, a little nasty from the fan base. Uh, the media got a little snippy with James. James got snippy with the media as well as Jim Harbaugh regarding the tunnel situation and having only one tunnel for both teams to go through, potentially a flying sandwich that came out of the locker room as both of the teams trying to enter. It was a bad look for Penn State, and the program just seemed to have no positive momentum. Well, Nothing like a game against Minnesota at home in the whiteout at night without Tanner Morgan, who in the past has torched Penn State defenses. A game without Tanner Morgan to get right, and Penn State did just that. 45-17, to 17, controlled the, uh, the Michigan aerial, I'm sorry, I beg your pardon, Minnesota aerial attack. Um, decent amount of rushing yards for Minnesota, but it was quite a volume game. They only threw the ball 22 times. The rest were rushes. Penn State in control from start to finish. Quality offense, quality defense. Big-time rebound game from Sean Clifford. All leads up to where we are right now. So that's a lot to sift through. What stands out to you as we sit here recording on the night of the 26th of October? Well, that seems like that's just what the doctor ordered for Penn State, uh, that Minnesota game, especially without Tanner Morgan. Um, you know, we have seen Penn State losses turn into two losses back-to-back, three losses, three out of four losses, and so on. So um, definitely a positive step in the right direction. I mean, when, when you, you get killed by Michigan, come back home, and essentially kill Minnesota without their starting quarterback, but you still you still did it. I mean, it, it, it's not a guarantee that you do it without their starting quarterback. And um, you have to be feeling better going into the Ohio State game now than than you would would have you know coming out of the Michigan game, obviously. So, listen, Ohio State is, in my opinion, the best team in all the in all the country right now. Uh, I think they're the favorite to win it all the national championship. They have a ton of talent. Um, Michigan's a talented team. I would argue that Ohio State has better talent than than Michigan. So, you know, I, I hope the home field um, – now, they don't really play similar styles of ball, but I hope the home field um, and, and Penn State riding a little bit of a momentum wave right now um, can make keep things interesting. Um, you know, Penn State's going to have to play a phenomenal game to even have a chance to win, and you're looking at Ohio State's going to have to play – an average or below average Ohio State type game um, for that to happen. So Penn State has their work cut out for them, no doubt. Um, also, this will probably be Ohio State's toughest test so far this season. So um, it's going to be an interesting game. It will be. And I think the key to this one is exactly what spelled Penn State's doom against Michigan. And that's going to be the defensive front. 
the front that after the game, James Franklin wasn't talking about preparedness for this game. Of course he talked about that, but all of a sudden is talking about, we need to recruit better in that position, which I always struggle with that because every program wants to recruit better Tyler rightly so. But is that not a backhanded compliment to the guys that are in the trenches with you right now? Yeah, I, I didn't really get the warm and fuzzies over that comment. I mean, I mentioned, you know, some of these guys think they're Aaron Donald. Uh, obviously, that means undersized. But, you know, <laughs> there, there are no other Aaron Donalds other than Aaron Donald. So when you're saying they're trying to be like Aaron Donald, that's saying that they're undersized, but they have nowhere near the talent, which we would expect. And, you know, immediately you think of a guy like Akeem Beeman, who has really never been above, I don't know, 270 pounds, and that's probably being generous as a defensive tackle at this level. Uh, you got a guy in Zane Durant, a true freshman, that's very similar build to Aaron Donald. Again, not Aaron Donald, you know, six foot one, six two, maybe, um, like 250, <laughs> 260, maybe. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, James Franklin, uh, you know, thinking back to the, the, the Michigan game in the comments and especially about the tunnel, I mean, you know, in my opinion, not to get off track, but he's got to look in the mirror too because these are the guys that he's recruiting. He is a CEO of the the whole, you know, program. Um, whether that's your strength and conditioning staff or maybe you're not recruiting the right type of guys, but I wouldn't put it on the players. Uh, I didn't like that, that look. I mean, hey, maybe it worked. I don't know. I, I mean, maybe he, he knew we could get that out of those guys um, and and they, they played better on, on Saturday against a really good Minnesota offensive line and a really good Minnesota running game with Mo Ibrahim, Ibrahim, whatever you say it. Um, so I don't know if he was trying to light a fire. Um, you know, we have seen Franklin be extremely, extremely emotional, good and bad um, after big wins, big losses. Obviously the great to elite comments from, you know, 2018 after they blew the loss at home against Ohio state up double digits with eight minutes left. Great to elite. You know, after Minnesota last week, we had some interesting comments. Michigan, I'm sorry, we had some interesting comments. So he is an emotional, emotional guy, win loss. Um, but I, I, it appears that they responded quite, quite well to it. But uh, yes, you are correct. I mean, this defensive line is going to have the bullseye on them again. Um, Ohio State's got two guys that can really, really run, and Williams and Henderson. I mean, that's. That's a phenomenal one-two punch. Um, it's it's a top one-two punch in all of college football. Uh, we saw what another top one-two punch did against us in Donovan Edwards and, um, and and Blake Corum at Michigan. The difference with Ohio State is, you know, they can beat you on the outside and beat you through the air, which Michigan really didn't do. Um, you know, Ohio State's got C.J. Stroud, one of the top three, top two, maybe the top quarterback in the country um, in terms of NFL and, and Heisman and all that stuff. Um, offensively, outside, they have Marvin Harrison Jr. is killing it this year. Emeka Igbuka, everyone's favorite former recruit, Julian Fleming. And if healthy, which seems like he'll be on a snap count, probably the best receiver in college football, again, if healthy, Jackson, Smith, and Jigba. They also have a couple tight ends you can play. So this is a better all-around offense in Michigan because they can beat you in many different ways, which is the scary thing for me is because we saw Michigan just kill Penn State on the ground. 
Ohio State can do it through the air or on the ground or both. They can. The one thing I'll say to that, Tyler, and the one shred of light that Penn State may, fans may see at the end of the tunnel, it's really tough to harp on anybody at Ohio State for a 54-10 to 10 win against Iowa. However, the big gash run plays were not there in that game. Right. And, and, and the red zone offense – was not good in the first I heard, half. I heard Iowa had like six turnovers. It was it was an unwatchable. I don't know if you got to see much of the game. I know you were at wedded uh, yeah, at no. weddings and experience and love that day. But oh, uh, yeah. it was and and by the way, good call. Do that instead of watch that Ohio State Iowa game. The Iowa program is a complete train wreck. I mean, part of you thinks that they just kneel the football three times and punt it away. And let their defense do what they do, and the margin of differential would have been far less in that football game. It was awful, and Ohio State was gifted a twenty-six to whatever it was, three-zero lead a lot of times because the defense was even either scoring defensively or getting a turnover in the red zone. And a lot of times, Ohio State was needing to to kick the field goal. Now we are nitpicking nitpicking here of an Ohio State program that is so worlds beyond that Iowa program that it's not even really worth discussing. However, if Penn State is going to have any shot, they need to stop the run. They have the talented secondary that Iowa does not have. I would argue they have the most talented secondary. Um, you know, again, it, one of the most in the conference, one of the most in the country. There are other very talented secondary bases, but Penn State, as well as anybody, is prepared to match up against these receivers. That's not to say they're going to be successful, but that's the unit that I think has the best shot. But you have to stop the run. You have to stop the run so that your defense um, can get off the field from time to time uh, so that you can let your outside linebackers try to get at C.J. Stroud so he doesn't just stand back there in the pocket. That really starts everything to allow you to actually exploit the strength of your secondary. Yeah, you literally took the words right out of my mouth. Because um, as you know, if, if you can stop the run and make them throw, your chances are better. If they're running, for, forget about it. If Ohio State's picking up five, six, seven more yards a run, and then they're just going to set up the play action and hit you deep, forget about it. If you can stop the run, as you mentioned, Penn State's defensive backs as a whole are very, very good, can match up with Ohio State. I would be willing to bet that both both ways each position group will have Ohio State's receivers will have, have success, Penn State's defensive backs will have success. But if you're able to stop the run, okay, and play your cornerbacks man-to-man, it, it should create an interesting challenge for Ohio State. Um, one that, again, we're really not sure other than Iowa stopping the run on them. But Iowa doesn't have – I mean, they have a really good defense, so don't get me wrong. And and Penn State, the jury's still out. But the back end, um, that that's where it gets interesting. I mean, if, if they can stop them throwing or slow them down throwing and they're not able to run as well as they'd like, there's a good chance Penn State could be in this game late. And you, I think, mentioned it towards the beginning – 
I'm going to harp on it. Michigan and Ohio State. Ohio State undoubtedly has more talent. They have better skill position players. They can stretch the field. They have a more talented quarterback to do it, better receivers, et cetera. Michigan's extremely physical. I think that if we were around this to late October of 2021, what would we be saying about Ohio State and Michigan? Ohio State, a lot more talented, a much better quarterback, better skilled position players on the outside. We'll out-talent Michigan. Well, what happened? And again, not even close to as badly as Penn State got out physical, but it was right. Michigan's physicality that won that football game in the cold, in the snow at Michigan and allowed Michigan to advance to the college football playoff, not Ohio State. And so this is not a Penn, uh, an Ohio State versus Michigan preview show by any stretch. But I think that Michigan is going to have a shot, tougher, you know, tougher at the shoe, tougher that Ohio State has had a year to try to basically map themselves to a point where they're going to match the physicality of Michigan. But my point is how a team hangs with Ohio State is a heck of a lot different than a team hangs with Michigan. Counterpoint, Tyler, it's traditionally been a lot easier to hang with Michigan than Ohio State. Just look at the scores. And Penn State wasn't able to hang with Michigan, so you tell me. But it is a different set of skills, as we mentioned earlier here tonight. It's a different set of skills that allows you to stay with Ohio uh, State. Yeah, I mean, you do mention that. Um, but, you know, if we're going back a little bit, look, even to the last time Penn State beat Ohio State, which was 2016, you know, really, and I hate to bring this up, but Penn State should have had a nice little three-game winning streak there, too. You know, they go into the horseshoe in 2017 when Barkley returns the opening kick, blow a huge lead, you know, ranked two in the country. Ryan Buckholes getting injured yeah. was the big big thing there. Think, they had think, no – they had to go to Shaka Tony at 215 yeah. pounds. What's that? Um, Sorry. Offensive lineman did too. Maybe Bates. Yeah. But again, on the defensive line, they had to go to Shaka Tony at 218 pounds every single down because they didn't have any defensive line depth. And that was was a big part of it. It was. And and then, you know, the next year, Penn State led by eight, or I'm sorry, 12 with eight minutes left at home. That's when the great elite comment was made. Um, The last couple of meetings haven't been that, that close. Um, so, but when you think about it as a whole, taking away what happened in Michigan, Ohio state last year, Penn state historically has played Ohio state the tightest, um, at any other conference team. Um, I believe they have covered the spread for what it's worth. I don't know the exact amount, but maybe like seven out of the last eight years or something like that. Um, they, they do play them tight. But, again, there's no doubt about it that Ohio State, even though Michigan won last year and won the conference, Ohio State is still the measuring stick as far as I'm concerned for the conference until somebody somebody else does it, excuse me, um, you know, year after year consistently like they have. Agreed. So in terms of the atmosphere that folks will see at Beaver Stadium, it is a noon kickoff. That's Thanks to the good folks at uh, at Fox that Joe Buck have, trade, yeah, there there you go, the Joe Buck trade. So now with big noon kickoff being the branded slot, right? Fox says, all right, CBS has the three thirty spot locked up. ESPN family and networks are often going to have the big game at night. A lot of times, that's the college game day game. 
Fox came in and said, we're going to do a competing rival pregame show called Big Noon Kickoff, Rob Stone, Reggie Bush, Matt Leinart, Brady Quinn, and Urban Meyer, which should be a madhouse with him in State College uh, with a game involving Ohio State. That should be fun. <laughs> and then they lead right into that noon game. So they say, hey, listen, yeah, it's maybe not the desired primetime game, but they're making it a primetime type slot, and they're treating it that uh way. I'll tell you what I do like about it. I don't like the fact that the game's at 12. Obviously, I'd like the crowd to be able to tailgate all day and get all juiced up for a night game. Um, I do like Joel Klatt. I mean, Gus Johnson, he's an excitable guy. I do like Joel Klatt as an announcer. Um, I'd put him up I there. I love that crew. Yeah, I mean, like, Gus, if, if things are going against you, <laughs> he can get rather annoying, but, like, if it's a good game and, you know, like they did the Purdue game, I thought it was great. Um, other than him not being excited for the one touchdown, it was like he was reading, you know, when Mitchell Tinsley scored. I'll never forget that. But um, I like the fact that at about 11 o'clock or so, maybe 1130, they go into the stadium and you actually can like see warmups and, you know, get a feel for, you know, being at home watching on TV, getting a feel for all that because you never get that. You know, not with college game day unless they're doing like the 12 o'clock game and they just so happen, you know, go inside. But, you know, it's a it's a different um, point of view, which I, which I do. I do like. And it's going to be a stripe out, um, you know, coming off of a whiteout. So we'll see. I mean, I think the crowd's going to be into it. I do. Um, it's just a matter of if the team can play well enough to keep them engaged for four quarters. I know we wanted to talk about what the injury bug has enlisted for each of these teams heading into this one. Yeah, I'll start um, with, with the obvious with Ohio State, uh, Jackson Smith and, and Jigba, um, All-American receiver, uh, only has five or six catches on the whole season. He's been plagued by a hamstring injury. Uh, I think that started in week one against Notre Dame, if I'm not mistaken. Last week, uh, it sounded like he – Played a little bit, was limping at some points, didn't come back in. Head coach Ryan Day mentioned that he's going to be on a quote-unquote snap count. I don't know if that means 10 snaps. I don't know if that means 20. Um, what's weird to me is if your hamstring is not good as a football player, especially as a wide receiver, you know, it's I would think of it as like an all-or-nothing thing. I mean, I don't know how – if your hamstring's hurting, how you can go out there and run full speed and, and all that. Um, so I guess we'll see there. Um, either way, Penn State's going to have their hands full with that receiving group, and I think Penn State's defensive back should be up to the task. Um, on the Penn State, Chop Robinson didn't play on Saturday. Um, hoping to have him back, I guess, for I mean, for against Ohio State. I mean, that's a big edge piece right there. Getting to the um, getting to the quarterback, he and denied Dennis Sutton arguably have been the two best defensive ends at getting pressure on the quarterback. A um, couple offensive linemen banged up. Uh, Landon Tengwall hasn't played since my God before the bye week. Um, Hunter Norzad has been starting that left guard. Um, he's been doing okay. The Cornell transfer, and then um, Sal Warmly and Caden Wallace, right guard, right tackle, respectively, apparently left. The game against Minnesota early, um, I believe, out of the two, it sounds like Warmly um, is going to be okay to play. Not so sure yet on Wallace. 
Um, Wormley's had a nice, nice season really at right guard. Um, Wallace is an okay right tackle. I mean, we don't have much depth there. Um, he's had his ups and his downs, as we all know. And um, if, if he's not full go at right tackle, I would expect to see Bryce Effner out there. And he's done a serviceable job, right? I mean, he's never going to kind of lead your line there and be the guy, but right. can be a, a solid piece to jump in when needed. Yeah, they have some pretty solid offensive linemen, you know, Fashanu as well as Wormley, I think have been not revelations per se, but guys that they expect. Remember, Wormley didn't play at all last year. He was slated to be the starter. He's come back and really kind of bona fide set in that position. And Fashanu looks like a pro, big-time pro. Yeah. Yeah, how about that? It's like he's a redshirt sophomore. We can barely enjoy him before we yeah. finally have Simon that's in a, a tackle that is really good. And all of a sudden, it's like I've seen mock drafts top 10, top five. I'm like, man, I know he's good, but like, come on, can't we get him for one more year? We've waited so I long know. for a tackle to step up, but I guess that's the name yep. of the game, right? That's why you he really refer- burst, burst onto the scene a little bit in that in the bowl game last year. Yeah, he, he certainly did. And, um, you know, I'm hoping that they can get all these guys back healthy because um, you can never have too many linemen, um, especially with depth. And we, we have seen in the past how quickly it can get really, really ugly. So, so far this year, the Penn State offensive line has really not been the issue. Um, and they actually are a midseason candidate for the Joe Moore Award the nation's best offensive line unit. Do I think they're going to get it? No. Do I expect they will them not list? No. Um, do I expect Michigan to be a finalist? Yes. Um, Ohio state probably. So um, the fact that they are even in that conversation though, that is, that is really good um, because it, it has been, I couldn't even tell you the last time. That's how far we're going back that Penn state had a really good offensive line. I mean, it was before – it was probably under Joe Paterno, believe it or not, the last time they had a really good offensive line. So they're they're certainly moving in the right direction. And, um, again, they're going to have their hands full too on Saturday. I mean, Ohio State's got really good young defensive line prospects and um, a lot of depth over there too, and they're obviously coached by Larry Johnson. So I think we've gone, we've gone far enough without indulging – the the audience that might have a little bit of an imagination. So as badly as it went at Michigan, and it was a freaking rout, and as talented as Ohio State is, and as much as they're a 15-and-a-half-point favorite, and it's unlikely as it may be that Penn State goes and wins that football game, I think saying that they control their own destiny is going a little bit too far. But win this game somehow, Tyler – and then maybe you're thinking, okay, does Michigan really take care of business, stomp on Ohio State a little bit, all everyone in their path, and now you're looking at what? Penn State looking to win out to get to 11-1, and one, not have a 13th data point, and just throw it into the hands of the committee. Okay, that's for the folks that have the imagination. But when you go into that game Saturday, if you're a Penn State fan, I mean, that that is, albeit, Difficult to see happening. That is on the table. The data point has not been recorded yet. Let's put it that way. It is on the table. Um, listen, I mean, I, 
I saw another funny statistic out there that uh, um, the, the, the last three times the Phillies have won the NLCS, Penn State has also beat Ohio State in the same season. I mean, just like crazy. Like, what are the chances of that? But um, of course, of course, you saw the thing as well about when the Penn, Phillies win the World Series. There's a massive economic downturn that follows. I did see that. What was it? Eighty oh eight, and now here we are in 2022. Hopefully, that doesn't happen. Um, God, that I mean, I guess it's certainly possible. Um, but. Um, that that yeah. being the economic downturn, just to make sure I yeah yeah, but you know, it, hopefully it's not like oh the Astros win now the economy is going to be okay or oh the Astros win we're still going down then then it's really bad at least give me the Phillies win but not yeah. to get not to get off the a- track the a- the Astros win the World Series all right drill baby drill right yeah, yeah. right exactly <laughs> <laughs> um Penn State the year 2016 when they, excuse me, beat Ohio State at home, blocked field goal. We know the deal. At that point, going into that game, one, nobody thought Penn State was going to win. Two, nobody even was thinking Big Ten championship. I mean, Penn State lost the pit, you know, heartbreak loss on the road week two. Um, Then two weeks later got smashed by Michigan, Probably, in my opinion, worse than they did. I don't know. I mean, I can't even. I I think it was worse. Maybe not. Nah. I don't know. They were. You can't get. Bad. You can't get beat worse than they did two weeks ago. So equally as bad. And then, it's like once you think they're out of it. Um, again, it, it's it's like none of these guys are on a team or anything like that. But I guess it really wouldn't like. Surprise me. I mean, it's not like Penn State doesn't have talent. The game is at home. Um, yeah. I'll throw, one, I'll throw is one. I'll throw one. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, 15 and a half is a, is a, a large point spread, but there's, yeah. I mean, there's crazier things that have happened. It's not like they're like 40 point underdogs with like, you know, a, a quarterback with one leg playing or something like that. I mean, sometimes it might feel like with Clifford, but he's, he just got Big Ten Player of the Week last week and, that's another – it just blows my mind because I see the – I did see the long interception he threw and they ran it back. I'm like, here we go again. And then after that, he kind of lit Minnesota up and they used the tight ends. They did, and I think that's a huge key. That is a huge key. You talk about physical football, uh, getting guys over the middle of the field, making linebackers, make commitments. Okay, now you got to go cover a tight end that makes running the ball a little bit easier. You know, there's a lot of things, but I'm going to throw, turn it back to the Ohio state, Penn state thing, throw a little bit of cold water. The other thing that Ohio state has this year that they did not have back in 2016 is I'll say it a better head coach. Ryan day in my mind is a considerably better game day head coach, a better adjustment maker than, than Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer has the pedigree, but he would just blister a game plan into oblivion, regardless of what else was going on. And I felt that left a lot on the table. Granted, he had a lot of success, and Luke Fickle struggled in the year after Trestle was, was fired, dismissed. But, man, um, I think Ryan Day is as good as it gets in college football right now until I think he inevitably takes a shot at the NFL. 
I think Ohio State has a better man on the sidelines than they did when Urban Meyer was was there. Yeah, I, I would agree with that too. I mean, they, I don't know much about Ryan Day as a person, but they definitely have a better person <laughs> leading the, lead the program. Um, yeah, I don't think Urban Meyer should get it back into coaching anymore. I mean, um, I guess the Fox gig, hopefully that's good enough this time around because it just doesn't seem like anybody really cares for him as a coach anymore, especially after wrapping Jacksonville. Um, speaking of coaches, I do want to point this matchup out. Quite interesting matchup. I believe he's a St. Joe's prep graduate and Ohio State defensive coordinator Jim Knowles. Correct me if I'm wrong, um, but I believe that's what I heard. Um, he and Mike Yurcich, of course, Penn State's offensive coordinator, were on the same staff together at uh, Oklahoma State for a little bit. Um, I know Mike Yurcich was on staff at Texas when they played Oklahoma State. There's a lot of familiarity there. Um, whether or not that means anything, I'm sure it means something. Um, just something extra to watch for. Yeah, and while we're there, a lot of overlap, right? Julian Fleming, guy was on campus many times at Penn State. They thought they were going to be able to bring him on campus. He ends up at Ohio State. Uh, rare that Penn State can can pull someone that Ohio State's interested in, but because they got in so early, Mike Yersich did on Drew Aller. All of a sudden, Ohio's thinking, wait a second, they're pulling this kid out of the state of Ohio? And they did. And I don't know. I mean, I think Clifford will certainly continue to get the start. And as long as things aren't going very poorly, or I guess extremely well, probably not that, <laughs> but uh, he, he won't play. But there's another one, right? A rare situation where Ohio State got a quarterback that Penn State wanted. Kyle McCord is sitting there on the sideline for Ohio State. He also won't play. He was a guy that Penn State wanted. You know, Penn State um, was not necessarily high on Kyle's list. They weren't running the offense at the time he was looking for. Ironically enough, I think the Mike Yurcich system might fit him a little bit better. But Penn State's got a young guy from Ohio on their sidelines. Ohio State has a young quarterback from Pennsylvania on their sideline. New Jersey. I suppose so. St. Joe's prep. <laughs> Marvin you, were Harrison. Just, you, were, you were waiting for that one just very, yeah. very patiently. I, I mean, yeah, I mean, and it's crazy too. Like Mar uh, Julian Fleming's from like an hour away from Penn State. Uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. is phenomenal talent. Another St. Joe's prep kid. Uh, he actually is PA kid. He's from like the Abington area. And you know what? Like, as much as I'd love to have those guys on, on the Penn State roster, I mean, who wouldn't? I don't blame them. I mean, Ohio State's been an absolute factory at churning out wide receivers. And, you know, I, I don't blame any any top-rated recruit, no matter where you're from, you know, going, going to Ohio State based off of the, the recent success they've had of putting guys, multiple guys, each year it feels like in the first round of the draft. Agreed. Any other big storylines? Couple minutes left, or are we no. making picks? Um, Sean Clifford is technically zero and five in his college career against Ohio State. Obviously, he didn't start and play all those games, but the Cincinnati kid, as I'm sure we'll hear a thousand times from Gus Johnson on Saturday, um, gets his last crack at the Buckeyes. So. Um, fair point. Yeah, I talked a lot about Drew Aller being the young Clifford. kid, but yeah, yeah. I will say this about Sean Clifford: 
incredibly polarizing, I guess, is a word you could use. Um, one thing, yes, I have, you know, called to see Drew Aller become the starter, um, you know, because I just don't – I think we've hit our ceiling with Clifford. I hope he proves me wrong. But I will say this. He's an extremely tough guy that's put everything out on the line for the last six years. I mean, obviously, really the last four years of playing at Penn State. He's gotten injured, played through injury when there weren't sufficient backups. Um, He really, from everything that I hear, he's an unbelievable leader. So um, I know he gets a bad reputation sometimes because of his on-field play decision-making, et cetera. But he, he truly does love and has the passion for Penn State football that most of the fans have. And he's, he's as tough as they come. And, um, you know, that's, you really shouldn't take that for granted. I mean, because he, he will leave it all out there on Saturday, not to say he's going to light it up and throw all these touchdowns, he can go out there and throw four interceptions and, and we can get killed, but he, he'll, he'll leave it all out. There's no denying that. I agree. I agree. It'll be good for him to get one last crack and Penn State's sake, Penn State fans' sake. Hopefully he can keep him in it. Yeah. With that said, I'll, I'll, I'll start. I do think Ohio State wins and covers. I think Penn State maybe has a similar first half, maybe not point for point with Michigan or yard for yard. Hopefully it's a little closer in the first half, but I think by the end it's 38-14 Ohio State. Well, uh, if that's the case, we'll probably see Drew Aller in at some point, I would think. Um, I'm with you on the Ohio State score. Um, I actually have them getting 35. I have Penn State cover. I think it's going to be 35-24. That's an 11-point victory for the Buckeyes. That will also mean they still have not had a game end in a single-digit victory. They've have beaten every opponent by double digits, which is also very impressive. Um, I think Penn again. I I think Penn State can hang with them. Um, you can't fall behind early. Um, like I said, you have to keep the crowd in the game. Um, on your third and shorts, you got to get your third and shorts. You have to try to keep Ohio State in third and long. You know, um, gotta get pressure. And you have to convert. I mean, you have to convert right. there because they're good enough to make third and. and- long be first I, and ten. Yeah, and and I, I think if you can get some pressure on Stroud, hit him a little bit, that probably gives you a good chance of winning. Obviously, the turnover battle is going to be huge. The field, pos- field possession battle is going to be huge. Um, so I, I think Ohio State will win. I hope Penn State keeps it relatively close and, and they can kind of build off that. Obviously, no Big Ten championship or college football playoff uh, in their future if with a loss on um, – on Saturday, but there's there's still a lot a lot to play for, um, including a possible New Year's Six bowl game. Even though bowl games, you know, aren't what they they once were, it's still worth something, you know. Yep, it's it's a measuring stick, a barometer for your football program. This is the three game stretch that everybody was talking about after the bye. Played terribly against Michigan. Give the team credit; they came back and played a pretty unified game against Minnesota. Now here it is, Penn State, Ohio State, noon, big noon kickoff. We'll see what happens. We'll be enjoying it with you all. Enjoy the football, everybody. And like you said, Tyler, if there is a miracle in play, then the college football playoff dream stays alive.
But if not, they turn their attention to the last three or so weeks of the season and look to win 10 regular season games. Let's have some fun with this one. Thanks, as always, for being here, Tyler. And we'll see you Absolutely. this time next week on the Nittany Lions Sports Report. Good evening, everyone.